0: Test, test.
1: So this is a quick impromptu uh, show because I want to see if people can hear me okay. I have this set of Bluetooth earbuds and I want to see if I use this in place of my usual microphone equipment if it sounds okay so if people can send me like um in the chat or if you want to come up into the caller section or just hit the emojis with a thumbs up if it sounds okay if it sounds passable just let me know how it sounds okay someone said it uh sounds fine okay that's great um Still planning to do a regular show tonight with Q, but I wanted to kind of set up a way to make you know quick impromptu shows that don't require all those usual setup that I usually do with Q. The setup I have when I do a show with Q, we connect it to my laptop, have the official mic setup, and have a soundboard and all the other stuff. And sometimes I'm just not in the mood to do all that, but. Uh, Yeah, I'm just kind of checking in on what's on people's minds, how people are kind of um, processing what happened in Buffalo. And also, I'm curious about the economy. Like, I'm kind of curious about between the student loan business, the crypto crashing, the regular stock market crashing, and all this other stuff going on. But um, I'll be honest, I'm kind of wondering why people don't just set things on fire and just kind of revolt or rebel or whatever. And it's just like, there's so many things that are just crazy right now. And I'm just wondering, like, what is it that keeps people from just lighting everything up and just saying, fuck it? Hey, Andrew, what's going on?
2: Hey, nothing too much. I I didn't mean to uh, cut in, but I was. No, I mean, you weren't cutting in. That's what this is for. I, I
1: appreciate it, actually.
2: Rad. Yeah, no, I was just thinking. It, it, I kind of agree with your sentiment. People kind of raise this about the U.S. a lot. Um, people will say stuff like, "Oh, they're we're you know complacent," or
3: um,
2: I, you know, or that somehow we're like uniquely. Um, like resource deficient to carry out a protest or something. But I wonder why at least um, people don't stop paying their taxes. Like I I brought this up on another column earlier about Greece in like 2010 or 11, kind of right after they were admitted to the EU and also because of the big financial fraud shit going on. They just got, I mean, wrecked. Their economy was wrecked. Um, And I don't see, like, a huge, huge difference. But, you know, they basically, en masse, stopped paying their taxes. They started taking over, like, abandoned government and corporate buildings in Athens and in Thessaloniki and other places. And I don't know. It's like, you know, people will bring up that the U.S. had the McCarthy era, but the U.S. brought the McCarthy era to Greece. Um, I think there was – I want to say it was Mint Press. There was a piece that kind of just did a – uh, if anyone wants a quick breakdown of, like, the anti-communist uh, militias that the U.S. helped set up in Greece that they did kind of all over Europe that just killed the partisans in Greece, just, you know, thousands and thousands of communist partisans who were the resistance against the Nazis were killed. And yet still, Greece made some shit happen when their country was getting screwed up. And and yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's a little confounding, but I don't think we're incapable. I mean, I look at 2020 as a big high point i look at the or at least of like revolutionary potential and organizing and then you look at the union organizing stuff so i don't know maybe there's some shit that's about to pop off we're not expecting or or maybe it'll be a few more months i mean one thing that i find kind of weird is that the people who i think
1: more are kind of on the traditional oppressor class and everything they're the ones who kind of seem to have given up on following the rules or the proper channels, and they're the ones who seem to think, you know what, the government, the country, the traditional respectable avenues are not available to me, so I'm going to pop off, I'm going to shoot guns, I'm going to go off the grid and, you know, not pay the taxes. Like, those patriot types and those people who call themselves sovereign, like, you know, those those right-wing and fascist types, they refrain from paying their taxes all the time. But we have this kind of interesting class of so-called like radicals and revolutionaries who seem to really believe in playing by the rules in a kind of bizarre way. Everything seems ass-backwards to me. Like, like um, we have people who will be protesting after George Floyd and after all these things like Breonna Taylor... Who will be kind of bragging about how their their protests were peaceful and how they followed the rules and and everything? And I'm like, why would you consider that a selling point of a so-called radical protest that you behaved, you know? And but it's like these kind of militia, right wing, you know. I mean, I guess it's easy when at the end of the day the system is rigged on your behalf. Like like you look at Cal Rittenhouse for all his, you know tough swagger before you know when it came time to you know uh pay the piper he cried on the stand and you know got a slap on the wrist i mean i don't have any answers to your questions either but um yeah I, i would like other people to answer why do you think that um americans or at least american liberals and leftists don't just refrain from paying the taxes and, and,
4: and thanks, Andrea. I appreciate your call. Is it possible that a lot of them do, T? Like, I don't know. When he brought that up, but I think about the U.S. and how it always manages to keep a, a decent chunk of people relatively stably, stable financially. Like, we see a lot of housing markets, even while this crash occurs, like, getting hot during COVID. So that indicates to me that most white people, perhaps even those right wingers that refuse to pay taxes and are in militias and stuff, what if they're actually like middle white people or upper middle? Of course, they don't present themselves that way. They tend to present themselves often as like these blue collar types, but they may actually have some money and be relatively stable. And we know how punitive the the system is where it often will not audit a lot of people in those brackets and instead if we stop paying our taxes like um or, or somebody like in lower middle working class below that middle range if they start paying their taxes you are significantly more likely to be audited. So I I, I feel like I feel That's like it's kind of what you said where it's rigged in their favor <clears throat> in multiple ways where that they can kind of be recalcitrant.
1: But you know, like I think when they don't pay their taxes, yeah, I don't
4: know. What, what do you think about
5: that?
1: I, I think when they don't pay their taxes it's bad. Design, as in, like the government's in on it. The government's helping them not pay. You know, as in, the government has accounted for those taxes not being paid. You know, like, like like they're not banking on those taxes anyway. It's 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 our taxes that they expect uh to be to be paid and to be um.
4: It's so weird because it's not really enough to contribute to too much like you to for us to have like legit programs or social welfare state we actually need those middle and upper middle and wealthy taxes and it's like well i, I think even a lot of these liberals that talk a strong game i bet you they, they trying to get a lot of tax cuts as well
1: oh yeah 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 for, for sure no no doubt at all uh actually i'm gonna let andrew um come back yeah. in here but uh, bernard if you want to come back up later by all means feel free and also, uh, people, let people know we're up in here. Let people know on your social medias and um, whatever. Let, let people know, because I want to hear from other people. Here's another question I want to ask to add on to what uh, Bernard just said. Where is this housing bubble money coming from? Because I lived through some other housing bubbles. And when they happened, whether it was dot-com bubble, housing bubble people I knew were doing good, and what I mean by that is the first dot-com bubble, right? And had all these different friends just out of college, just whatever, who were just working for these fly-by-night flaky dot-com companies. Like everybody in their month is making a dot-com, and they were flush with these uh, stock options that ended up being worth nothing in a year, but at the time, there was money flowing, even if it was just monopoly money that ended up not um you know, adding up to anything. And then when the last real estate subprime mortgage thing happened, I knew people who had these horrible mortgages, but at least I knew where the money was coming from. Like I knew people who were flush with money, even if it was uh questionable subprime mortgage money. But this is one of the few times in my life where I've seen the price to everything go up. Um all this, all these stock prices going up, all this real estate going up. But personally, I don't know anybody who's just doing great compared to before. Everyone's doing the same or worse. And and that's kind to of what's confusing me about this current real estate thing and and the current stock bubble is that uh, I don't personally know anybody who's doing so so great compared to before, even if it's a questionable type of. Um, Advantage, you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: I I hear you on on the, you know, like where is the money coming from? I don't really have, well, I guess I do kind of have an answer. If you look at uh, what a lot of these private equity companies are doing, um, you know, BlackRock and the like, I'm sure there's, you know, 30 different firms in that kind of strata that you and I might not know the names of. Um, but they're operating in the same way they're trying to buy up uh, housing and they're trying to make every part of the economy to serfdom them as much as they can. I think it's, um, it's interesting. You know, you can make a lot of money even off a population that is by and large destitute because there, you know, there's like the, the poor taxes, you know, when you get your overdraft fee and they charge you 30 or 40 bucks or whatever, just for that, you know, you add that in mass, Maybe some people fall off here and there because it was a lot at one point for them, but then they still have this large base. And so that, that, that makes it profitable. And and as for like where the money is coming from, how is it possible that like there's all this money flowing around, but actually everybody's kind of fucked. I can't remember who brought it up. It might've been on like breakthrough news. Um, they talk about some interesting economic stuff there pretty often um, it might have been Utsa Patnaik. I think she's a, a Marxist economist from India or probably somewhere else. But doesn't fucking matter. The point is they said there's basically two layers of, of finance, um, kind of imaginary finance beyond the, um, the actual economy. So like the actual GDP of the world of real um, industry and, and production and things that are circulating that people actually need and buy is like 80 trillion dollars. And then beyond that, there's like a $400 trillion or a $300 trillion kind of derivatives scheme. And then there's even a layer deeper than that that's over a quadrillion dollars that's just flowing.
1: Can I ask you something? How much of that is related to um, Silicon Valley? Because what she seems to be articulating seems to be something that I've been trying to wrap my head around. And that's the idea that we have so many businesses now that are huge they make up a big chunk of the Dow and the NASDAQ, but they're all businesses that don't really require having to have traditional profits and traditional earnings to be considered wildly successful, and I feel like that's kind of helped create this illusion of just this... It's like the new way to print money. Just just make companies that the stock... Mine data. Yeah, yeah. The stock prices then go up. They make a lot of people rich, but you can't really point to any type of actual value the thing creates. It doesn't actually sell a product. It doesn't actually make a tangible profit. Like something where you could say, Hey, I'm selling X amount of goods at X amount of uh, profit margin, uh, multiply it together. Here's the profit. No, it's not like that. It's, um, a lot of things that are basically being sold by a story as in, Hey, here's the story of this stock or this company. It's a, breaking-edge technology. is a cutting-edge technology. It's going to change the world. You can't judge it by regular profits or losses because um it's going to be a couple of years before it's actually marketable, but trust us, it's going to change everything, and here's 50 venture capitalists who are going to throw money into it, and it's being widely adopted even though no one's paying for it yet. So, the stock price is going to go through the roof, and a bunch of people are going to get rich off of it, and just don't worry. At the end of the day, it's all going to bounce out. It's, the profits are going to happen and, and it might seem wildly overvalued. Now we have so many companies like that. Now, like, uh, I had a friend who had a theory that we're never going to have a real true crash like we used to have in the past. We'll have like these dips or whatever, but there's just too many companies now that are huge and have huge market capitalization that, don't require traditional profits to be considered successful. And it feels like, and his theory is there's just so many of those in existence now that um, we're always going to have an artificially inflated stock market. And I feel like that kind of ties into what you're describing with this lady when she's saying that we have this shadow economy that is um, so much bigger than the actual goods and services economy.
2: Yeah, I mean, your first question that you asked is like, how is Silicon Valley intertwined with that broader system that does exist of kind of fictitious capital? I don't really know how to, to answer that question super well. I'm not an economist. Um, but I what I can say is that um, you might want to check out or I'd encourage other people to check out some of the last interviews Julian Assange gave in the... Actually, they might all be fucking gone now because I think they were from Ruckley. There might have been one with Glenn Greenwald, but the other ones were on uh, a part of RT. So it might be kind of hard to find them. Oh, but crap. he he talked about how they monetize a lot of the data mining and how basically AI could be kind of conceived as a as like an algorithm, a series of algorithms on steroids that can parse through incredible amounts of data and make predictions and I think a lot of these Silicon Valley people, they might be producing these algorithms or AI technology. And the way it's valuable is think of like an app like uh Robinhood or or eToro or whatever those those like stock trading apps are, where they say, Oh, there's no um commission fee because you're not really dealing with a broker, you're dealing with a platform, and and we'll just you know, they, they might think you're assuming they'll make their money on advertising, but the way they make their money. Is they sell your data about how you choose to buy stocks, you know, times millions of people that use these platforms to hedge funds like Melvin Capital or whoever else you might have heard of on Wall Street, and so they are they are making money by by fucking you over every time you make a bet on the stock market. They are preempting that to the point where they're even regulating how quickly it gets to the um, to the stock exchange from the these you know little. Uh, like free trading apps, they're 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 capitalizing off of every single part of that. But that's still not like really goods and services. And so the only way I can say that Silicon Valley is is connected is that they I think it it alludes to the the power of the state in economy because they've set, they've they've kind of provided a security apparatus and they provided um, uh, actual like you know financial incentives and uh, subsidies to these companies to do this type of work and i view it like social control um but i i think it it it, the reason i mean it speaks to the power of the state is because like it's not actually producing anything and like you mentioned they don't actually have like traditional profits what it really is is just a ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme in one form or another depending on the the business and the fact that they're they're continuing on and gaining power. I mean, I think you want to probably look at like the world economic forum types and what they're advising countries to do. And that's, that's really where I see it's life force coming from.
1: So many things are Ponzi schemes. And you know, what's crazy, right. Is how normalized so much of it is. And I'm going to tell you what I mean, right. Like, for example, there's uh, the crypto thing and everybody so hates crypto and NFTs and they're, like rooting for them to fail, and everybody's so happy when the crypto things you know fall and everything, and, and I look at crypto and everything right, and I'm like, you're not wrong about crypto, right, but the way I feel about crypto is like this crypto to me is like a hyper real, almost caricatured version of the type of thinking that was normalized by dot com stocks and silicon valley like like it's just an extreme caricature of like 50% of the, of the Dow right now. Like, like to me, crypto is not as harmful as the value of Facebook. Facebook to me is the most weirdest, ridiculous thing. Like what does Facebook do or create or do anything? It's not even an original idea. There was Friendster and MySpace and stuff before that. Like Facebook is like triple derivative. It's, 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 it doesn't sell or do anything. I, from what I understand, it makes most of this money off of what, like ads, I guess. I don't even believe that, because I don't know anybody who clicks a Facebook ad. Like, what is this thing? Why did they make anybody a billion dollars? Even if it's the most widely adopted thing on earth, I don't understand what value this thing uh, creates. To me, like Facebook is a million times crazier or as crazy as any crypto. And it's like that's something that's making somebody rich enough to have billions and consider running for president. Like to me, the existence of things like Facebook and all these huge billionaire making dot-com companies that I cannot even figure out what they sell or what tangible, what tangible value that to me is uh, the kind of crazy, bizarre value making of, capital right now that is trickling down to the regular person and things like crypto and all these um, imaginary value digital ventures. And I feel like the existence of crypto as an easy target almost has the bad effect of legitimizing and normalizing all this other bigger Ponzi scheme stuff you know like like if crypto gets to be the bad guy and the sign that everything's gone too far you know crypto and nfts it almost lends legitimacy to all this other shit that to me is basically the same thing on a bigger more legitimized uh scale
2: you know what i mean <coughs> excuse me i hear you on that a lot I... I think, like, you know, there's obviously some value in Facebook where, like, even some of my friends are like, oh, I'm fucking getting off of all social media. They'll keep Messenger because they know if they don't have someone's phone number, if their phone gets stolen or whatever, they can hit people up there. Um, And there's, like, events planning and stuff. But, for instance, I have uh, some friends. Well, well,
1: well, 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 let me clarify this. There's value to the user. And the convenience it creates, i talk about value as in like, Oh, where's the, the profits for the shareholders as in like, you know, because yeah. everyone using Facebook is using it for free.
2: You yeah. But I
1: mean? that's <laughs> the data mining the victim, thing again. Oh, the data mining. I got you.
2: Like that's they're, they're huge in selling. I mean, you know, there was the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal where um, I believe the, A lot of the kind of corporate legacy media was trying to say, oh, look, this is so this is like the worst example ever of any tech company selling your data um, because they use it to help get Trump elected. Uh, But that was actually a relatively small fry um, part of the gigantic industry that that is mining your data, predicting your behavior and selling those predictions and your consumer profile amongst each other amongst these other capitalists and it's a it's an element of social control and actually if you're i don't want to like um backpedal too much but actually bernard uh, brought up something kind of interesting about like a lot of the if you're down like it's another kind of element of social control where he brought up like a lot of these people who claim to be really good at like tax evasion and they're they're consider themselves sovereign um these people seem like they don't really seem to be targeted by like the irs the way that for instance, like some of my family is who's who only got through the last year because they got one of these. um, They were able to get a like a in their in our state, there was a grant for small businesses. And then they got taxed out the ass on it this year. So it's like those people are getting taxed. But these people who are kind of living out in more rural or uh, suburban, exurban areas, I wonder if they actually are like this kind of lineage from the the people who were immediate settlers who, who really went out there and got like the, the land grants and everything. And, and they buy in so heavily into this fictitious narrative that whitewashes the genocide of creating this country that, you know, all these people, they have enough surveillance from all of these different data mining um, schemes that they have to know who is and who is not paying their taxes. Cause I mean, there's people, there's dudes with like 70 brain cells bragging about it on Facebook. And they think that you know libertarianism is right-wing libertarianism is freedom, but I wonder if they kind of like let these people slide, and they know it, but because they're like they're not they're they're helping us uphold this system.
1: I mean, that's definitely possible
2: too. Uh, Something you know, something I was thinking about
1: as well when we were talking about why don't more people just kind of uh, lose their shit? You know, Uh, I think a lot of this protest culture that has kind of popped up has there's been a lot of mobilization and catharsis but not a lot of actual organizing so people just kind of get together uh drop signs chant yell whatever and then i think a lot of people kind of get spent like like they get that catharsis from like yelling marching protesting and then it's like after a while, people just kind of um, get spent. They get that catharsis, and they go back to to their lives and nothing actually has been organized or any structures created to, you know, to show for it. Like there's been such a culture of catharsis that has, um, like people end up feeling seen. They end up feeling heard. They got to say their slogans. They got to um, be on camera or you know commune with some other people for a couple of days and then you kinda go back to your go back to your life, you know, and I and I wonder if that's kind of become a problem too. Because I've noticed how proud of themselves people have kind of gotten over, you know, the fact that they that they protest, even if they have nothing to show for it when it's done.
2: That's a very interesting point. I think um I think there is a lot of that. Like the you know, we live in a society that that really runs on a lot of spectacle. Because I think at some level people do subconsciously know like a lot more is wrong than they really address on a daily basis, but they kind of compartmentalize it or they really hard, you know, every time they kind of feel a little tinge of dissonance, they kind of turn away hardcore. But I guess I'll say so I, I was I'm from Seattle and I saw like there was a lot of um spontaneous um, like huge numbers at the protests. Like one day, the first day there was like four or 500 people. The next day there was like 10,000 people. Um, and so it did seem like a lot of people were coming out um, that didn't know each other. It wasn't organized. But after that, I did actually see like when the protests started to die down more and more. Um, and, and then there was kind of like a somewhat effective media campaign by the city to kind of say, Oh, these protests, it's just a bunch of like white anarchists that are that are kind of basically using black people to get their rocks off in the streets. But meanwhile- Yeah, there I saw was a lot of that. Form. Well, there was, but I also saw like a lot of people, especially oh, no, like oh, 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 no. well, people who when, were doing- I there was a lot of that. I'm saying there
1: was a lot of that media narrative, I'm saying. I'm oh, saying yeah. Was, I, that, that that was the truth. I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying that there was a lot of that type of, and, and, and I'll say there were a lot of, I think- black liberals and activists who were also repeating it because they had an interest in kind of delegitimizing these more... uh, Because I think a lot of these protests, a lot of people like the traditional Black Lives Matter types Mm -hmm. take credit for it, so they didn't want it to be seen as legitimate. Like, if I can't be seen as a leader of this thing, then I want to delegitimize it as white anarchists as well. So you had both white people in charge, but also certain like uh, black people of the misleadership
2: class, both spreading that narrative that you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, at the time we had a black woman who was the police chief in Seattle and she and the mayor who was formerly a prosecutor for Obama, who has just a terrible history. They, they worked very well. I think, you know, handpicking the least radical elements of the protests to quote unquote negotiate with as leaders and I saw, I did see a lot of that co-opting that you were talking about. And I think that some of a lot of the people who were like really sincere and, and were really disgusted that after, you know, the minimum that we called for in Seattle was like a 50% defund. And a- after all of that, the city council did like a 1% defund. Um, a lot of people were like, okay, well, I'm not done with protesting forever, but there, there is that burnout that you talked about. But I also saw like new things come out of that. I saw like, multiple, um, kind of like, uh, a lot, especially like a lot of like kind of black farmers organizations and like local urban agriculture things pop off and start to get like land donations and greenhouse and get community kind of mutual aid organizations going. And I thought that was extremely well-timed and, and smart because, you know, they're kind of just building like a life support system for the next time that there is a rebellion Um, and they're also doing something that in the meantime is just good on its own. And if you are trying to kind of spread around the more radical side of politics, as people get tossed out of the lower strata of the, the, the liberals who are like just barely sustained by the system enough to support it, then there's something for them to go to and, and they'll understand a little bit more the, the politics of like why there needs to be this broader, like kind of revolutionary change instead of a little bit of like, just
1: fired three or four cops. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. And that's very, that's very encouraging. Like in, in general, there's so much, uh, someone said in the chat right now, uh, Tabik or Tabik, I don't know how to pronounce that. Excuse me if I'm messing it up. But it says, honestly, I simply feel impotent to change the world most of the time. I would love if I could, but I am not an organizer. I do not know any slash many organizers, and I know we can't do this alone. Um, Yeah, the the thing I would love to know is to talk to more organizers and see how they feel about all this stuff. Because I feel like in this it age of spectacle, it's almost kind of hard to be a serious organizer when they're going to pick somebody who is a lot less serious than you but is more photogenic, is more willing to kind of pander to the spectacle or, you know, preach a toothless kumbaya message, and you know, like, they're gonna basically platform that person over over yourself. Uh, something else I was thinking about, too, is with this Buffalo shooter thing and everything. I'm one of those people, like, I never like to say stuff like, um, oh, why are, you know, People not. Why are like people doing black on black crime, but they're not taking out George Zimmerman and everything? I never really like those type of arguments or whatever. Like I'm like you know, that's you shouldn't be rooting for anybody to, um, you know, do something that that you're not willing to do your yourself. But that Buffalo guy is. I mean, what he did was so beyond the pale. Like, he drove 300 miles, and apparently he videotaped himself doing um, the shooting and stuff. And um, in that case, I'm like, oh, my God, the people up there in Buffalo, uh, anybody who's involved in anything, um, violent or anything in Buffalo, I think they really got to... um, uh, I mean, I don't know i I just think I just think you know I shouldn't say too much stuff on um, in a public forum like this, but uh, I'm just gonna say this somebody came out today, they found somebody who came out who was like some kind of old head kind of community leader to come out and give the hugs, and I'm like, this is not like what we need right now, like they're always gonna find someone who's willing to give the hugs and say can't we all get along and i'm like oh my god they really can't let these people become the face of the black response I, 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 that's all i'm going to say i'm not going to say what i was leaning towards saying because you shouldn't say that in a public forum but uh okay Andrea, I'm, uh, I'm going to um move it on to bernard but feel free to come back up if you have anything to say really appreciate your feedback
2: for sure thanks
1: no problem
4: Hey, how's it going, Bernard? To the Buffalo thing. And um, did, so, did what you say actually happen? They already talking about hugs and something? Because I feel like we do this over and over again, T, like we did it with Charleston too, like with the forgiveness and all that. Uh,
1: there's always a designated hugger. They will find the black person who wants hugs in every community. I mean, I don't know if they have a speed dial, if they keep him on file just in case, he's, but they'll find them. Lightning fast. So, so, so someone who's involved—I don't know if he's an NAACP guy or some kind of local community guy—but they found somebody uh, who was was on the scene and, and he hugged somebody.
6: And I don't want to
4: hear what you had to say, but uh, like, I, I imagine it probably wouldn't be appropriate for a public forum. But I'm just beginning to think because I, I like the guy's manifesto was very interesting. Like, like you, like you know, I'm kind of like. I kind of affiliate with the the ADOS movement. And I don't agree. I don't agree with everything that anyone says, but I don't agree with what everything that Evet Car- Carnell says. But it's kind of very interesting that in his manifesto, even though the guy is supposed to be anti-immigrant, anti-Jewish, anti-everything, he specifically says, "Oh, I targeted the black people basically because it's the easiest target. They have the." the lowest amount, they seem to be the weakest in terms of political power. At least that's how I interpret it, what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And then it got me to thinking about the way that we do politics and how problematic it is. Cause it's, because because when I think about Buffalo, I think of that, that, um, what was the name of the lady that, was it some socialist lady trying to run for mayor there? And that, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know, I know who you're talking about. And it's like um, India something. And I don't remember her last name.
1: India Walton, I think was her name.
4: Yeah, and yeah well, So I'm kind of like, we can't even, like, in our cities that have, like, lots of black people, even up north, I understand that the south is a little bit different. That's where I'm from. I'm like, we can't even successfully get a, like, a black mayor, a, a, a regular progressive black mayor, well, let well, alone somebody who's going to do something for us. Well, Buffalo's
1: weird because I used to live in Buffalo, to give some context. Uh, I lived there for, like, five years. Buffalo is I don't know the proportion of it that's
4: black, but um, Buffalo is kind of like very. Black, right? What's that? They're kind of like Southern black people, right? More so oh, than like very, a New York City.
1: Very much. The uh, the black people in Buffalo have more in common with people from the South than they have with people from New York City. Like, if you see those people, like Griselda, those rappers and. Those guys sound like Wu-Tang Clan, the way they talk and everything. That's not what black people were in Buffalo were like uh, when I was up there. Like, like when I see those guys, they look very anomalous to me. Um, yeah, people came there. The black people who were there came mostly from the Great Migration, and they came straight from the South, and they kind of created this kind of um, culture there that feels and sounds very Southern, even though it's only eight hours north of... Uh, New York city. I don't know if maybe all the colleges up there and people from New York city moving there and kind of change things around. But, but when I was there, like in the, in the late nineties, it was, um, it was very shocking just how Southern the culture, the culture was, but, um, there's still a lot of white people in Buffalo. It was just very segregated. So they, I'm saying it to say, I can see why they would still have trouble, um, even with like all the black people there, but they still have trouble um, getting that mayor over because despite having a sizable black population, I think they still have a lot of white people. Even the white people live in the suburbs outside of the main city. You know what I mean? They still yeah, have... yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also I will say one more thing. Um, with voter disenfranchisement, I don't know if, I don't know if that, makes a lot of people ineligible to vote but you know they have a lot of uh when i was there there were a lot of people who had been in the system in buffalo i have no idea to what level voter disenfranchisement has any play in in anything but i'd be curious to know um i heard they rolled back a lot of voter disenfranchisement across the country in in recent years so
4: but i mean those are all good questions you have yeah like i just don't i don't don't, but then and then again we also have again, the South, where you're talking about, like, maybe majority or strong majority, like, Black cities, you can't really elect more than just a standard neoliberal as a mayor. Like, you know, I'm from Georgia, and you, you see you see Atlanta. Like, it's kind of like, y'all have opportunities to elect an actual progressive mayor, and y'all won't do it. <laughs> like, like, what's up with that? Like, what are we... I think what partly has happened, especially in the South, is they have convinced Black people that they actually have real power or some actual real money and all the the data tells us that that's not the case and i feel like if we knew the real data we might make other decisions like i'm looking at a website right now where it's doing like the racial wealth gap in atlanta it only does it in terms of income but like blacks are at the very bottom like so atlanta has an unusually high median household income especially for a southern city and what you see is it's mainly driven by the fact that like whites have this median income of like 84,000, but blacks are all the way down at 28,000 and Atlanta always like brags about black businesses and having lots of those, but it says that the average value of those black businesses is only like 58,000 Latino, 476 white 658, the few Asians that are there 706. So it's kind of like, Basically, they've gotten away with, like, lying to Black people about their relative position in that city. And I feel like people vote accordingly. They don't realize it. Like, no, you're actually at the bottom. You're still at the bottom in a majority Black city, and we don't understand it. And I feel like that's what's going on in the South. I just don't understand what y'all have going on up there. Because even New York City, I'm surprised y'all put um, Eric Adams in office. But it looks like they use, like, the crime fear to kind of do um... it.
1: It's very hard to explain with New York, but,
4: I mean, that's a whole different thing. But I'm
1: going to put it like this. If you look at the local media in New York, there's a lot of, like, you know, white leftists and transplants and all types of people who are kind of in the media here. And they'll have you thinking New York is far more leftist and progressive than it is. But if you go out in places like Queens, some of the black suburbs in Brooklyn, some of the two fair zones, you know people really underestimate how conservative a lot of old school black people are, you know, a lot of black people in these neighborhoods, they have nephews, cousins, uncles that are cops. A cop is considered one more blue collar Avenue to get out of poverty as anything else. The same way a lot of black people go into the military. So like, you know, a lot of them, like when I was in downtown Brooklyn or where I live, you know, where there's a lot of gentrification and whatever, you would think Maya Wiley was like, you know, the lead runner, that Eric Adams was a joke. If you talk to like um, other more like media elite types or whatever. But when I would visit my mom in like, you know, out in Long Island or, you know, in like Cambria Heights, Queens, or St. Albans, Queens, I was noticing all these little black businesses, little black bars with Eric Adams posters up. And to them, he's a old school black, guy with the New York accent, who's from New York, who sounds like people they know, who um reminds them of the cousin, reminds him of the uncle. Like a lot of people know or have in their families, an Eric Adams type of guy. And I think a lot of people weren't even voting in terms of like their politics or whatever. I think the combination of the crime, like you said, that there was a lot of crime around uh during the pandemic that was going up, but also like he was black and he was um Looked and sounds and talks like a lot of black people from New York.
4: Yeah, I'm kind of glad Atlanta did a little bit better than that this time, but like it still wasn't that much better. But this crime, this crime thing that every city has been talking about, I honestly think that that's partly behind. <laughs> like, yeah. Stuff happened. <laughs> like I think they want to make a big scene. Like, oh, look, we're willing to lock up, the- but that are part of a game to show them really going to. I'm like, you still ain't doing nothing to fix wealth inequality, but I guess you can make a scene with this. And then there's the whole politics of they're trying to keep the wealthy enclave of Atlanta from leaving, which is a whole not awful thing. <laughs> like, um, So they're trying to make for that man, like the way a black well, white, oh. like it's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Bernard, but the key the yeah, yeah. is backing up. So I'm just going to move on to Dr. Yacoub, but yeah, feel free to come back up if you want. Uh, so, Hey, Dr. Yacoub, how's it going? Um, b- before you say anything, I just want to answer a question I saw in the chat. Someone said, how did the shooter even find this grocery store? If I had to guess, because I used to live in Buffalo, um, Tops is the biggest store in Buffalo and upstate. There's too big. There's two big, Supermarket chains uh, upstate. There's Tops and Wegmans. Wegmans, I believe, was founded in Rochester. Tops is um, Buffalo's big chain. And because there's not a lot of like stuff to do up there, like these supermarket chains kind of become like very, very significant to the area in the ways that they, the supermarkets don't become in other places. Like, my live in Buffalo, people would go to Tops Market just to kill an the afternoon. The way some people go to a mall, like. Yeah. Tops International, for example, is huge. And people will just go in there and just, like, nibble on food and get drinks and and hang out and kill, like, an hour or two there. So I think the combination of he chose Tops because it's just a high-profile place in Buffalo, he just chose the Tops that was in the Black neighborhood. Because where he went, that was, um, like, a super Black part of Buffalo. And that would be my guess, just those two things. It was the biggest store in the blackest part of Buffalo.
7: Yeah, that right. makes sense. The, the way yeah. you were describing it, like, before you, you used the word mall, I, like, the word sort of, like, came into my head. I was like, oh, that that's, like, uh, like, the... Like, I, I was thinking about places near me like that, and it's like, oh, that that's the mall. Yeah, yeah. The, the, like, in those
1: small type of... I mean, Buffalo technically is not small, but it has, like, a small town kind of vibe, even though Technically, is the second biggest city in New York State, and in places like that, people turn the weirdest things into social centers.
7: Yeah, like, um, like if you, if you if you if you, well, I'm I'm thinking about like places people go, like like bars, cafes, that sort of thing, like p- places people like socialize, and you know the mall is just one of those places, and if that's like the biggest store and it's sort of set up in that way where you can just go kill time, uh, you know, try some samples, uh, you know, hang out with your friends. You know, that's what people are going to do. But,
1: um... So, so especially for daytime socializing and also old and young people. Like, like you know, like, um, young people are too young to drink or old people who, you know, uh, are just retired and killing time. Like, yeah, yeah they, they love places like that.
7: Yeah, and, um, like, I, I haven't done a lot of reading uh, about the, uh, the shooting. I, I know that, uh, what is it, like 11 or 12 people, something like that. And um, I, I did see one, uh, um, like, a meme uh, online about, like, the security guard. And I looked it up, and the security guard did shoot at the, uh, at the um, race warrior that went uh, to the Tops uh, grocery store, uh, but the, uh, the the guy he was wearing body armor and uh, the the shots didn't affect him. Uh, he shot back at the security guard, killing the security guard.
1: Yeah, and I heard that guy might have been. Um, I heard that guy might have been like an ex cop or something. He
7: was. He was. According to
1: yeah, the yeah, and one of the things uh, with cops i believe it's in the training to go for the body first so so he might have defaulted to his you know to his training and hit the body first and uh you know instead of going straight for the headshot which uh probably helped be his undoing
7: yeah the center of mass yeah yeah, exactly go for the body and um yeah like like uh like news stories like these are um I don't know. They're, they're like, uh, they're, they're moments where like you could ref like where black people could reflect and like come up with like self-defense culture, you know, like, um, move towards, uh, you know, I don't know, getting a concealed carry license, that sort of thing. I know there are, uh, some people I've talked to who, you know, they, they did go out and they did, uh, um, look for ways to protect themselves. Uh, I know that uh historically you know you you had um you know black uh self defense movements uh political movements, and those have all been like they 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 literally changed the laws because the Black panther Party was open caring in california uh so they the uh the comment made earlier about the shooter and his manifesto saying you know black people are weak uh and defenseless it 's like the government has made it more difficult for black people to defend themselves like this is by design i also think it's kind
1: of weird to say black people are weak and defenseless but it's not like you're going for the you're most not going for people black who targets yeah i mean i mean they're going after churches or old people markets like it, it, it's very it's very funny they choose like the softest targets but then pat themselves on On the back, like they're not going someplace place where there's a lot of young and uh, armed, uh, you know, black people. So it's yeah,
7: they're, yeah, they're not going. Who,
6: yeah,
7: black people that they know are armed, like uh, people yeah. who be uh, old or are old children. or are women. Yeah,
1: yeah, like, like like how many able-bodied young dudes are in a supermarket on a Saturday, you know? morning or afternoon most of the time it's like uh you know it's, it's yeah but but it is fun. as manifesto uh said that um but uh, do you have any final thoughts before i move on to uh tabby
7: um i i can't uh think of anything off the top of my head uh i can except for like a book that i was planning to read uh called negroes with guns that's uh, about black people in self-defense
1: Oh, yeah, I, I own that book, and I've still never read it. But, yeah, I've heard.
7: I, also, you own so I, many books, T. I know,
1: it's it's horrible. Uh, but, you know, it's crazy. I read it. That guy himself had a pretty interesting life. Uh, the guy who wrote that book. And uh, if we ever do that book in book club, uh, I also want to talk about his life, too. But, yeah, they, they had an interesting life. I think if I remember correctly, he, he kind of went to self-exile and left the country. And went to Cuba or something. Uh, I think his name is Robert. His name is Robert Williams, right?
7: Um, I believe so. Uh, Winfield will be able to uh, confirm or deny that. Okay,
1: cool. cool. He's in the queue. <laughs> oh, nice, nice, nice. All, all right, so uh, I'll ask him when we get to him. But I'll talk to you soon. All
7: right. Thanks. Bye.
1: Bye. Hey, how's it going, Tabby? Uh,
5: and also, it's am going I you correctly?
1: okay cool. yeah yeah tabby
0: yeah awesome. uh yeah yeah uh i just wanted to run an idea that i've had for a little bit past ya and everyone else in chat it's uh essentially a method of defunding that would instead of getting rid of the police entirely yeah, designate them as a petty crime unit without any like serious weaponry Yeah, have the actual people with serious weaponry be well-trained and a like absolute last resort and also have in place of police often uh deal with people with mental illness uh uh, instead of doing that have have a a unit designated for mental health emergencies
1: i'm uh, okay i'm gonna say i'm gonna say this about your idea I think it's a pretty good idea, but I don't think the feasibility or the logistics of the ideas is the problem. I think it's the stubbornness of the populace. Like, like, like one thing I noticed from watching the first round of defund the police uh, protests and policy making stuff happen is that the minute things start getting the least bit uncomfortable, like when the Crime rates started going up during the pandemic and everything. A lot of people just kind of um, caved or a lot of people just kind of default to, like, well, who's going to take care of us if, you know, there's not a million cops with um, guns everywhere? Even even though, realistically, all these cops with guns don't really accomplish as much as people think think they do. And that's where I'm stuck. Like Like, your idea sounds really, really good. I'm just trying to think, how do you get past the stumbling block of a lot of these people who are just have it ingrained in them that this is the only way anything can be done? You see what, you, you see what I'm saying?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. You know, it's, uh, people are stubborn. They do not like change. They, yeah, they feel, well, the majority feel safe with cops for some dumb reason in my opinion and i just i don't know
1: yeah and that and, that, and that's my sticking point is that, is that like the idea you said sounds perfectly great to me i just i've just got kind of demoralized by just watching how stubborn and 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 invested people were in just keeping things the way they the way they are like like the inability to imagine any other way of doing things yeah, it's this, It's brutal. But but you know what? I would like to post that question to people coming after you in the queue. I mean, anybody coming after Tabby, you're welcome to talk about anything you want. But if anybody wants to address uh, Tabby's idea and the point that I brought up, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing that as, as well. Uh, okay, Tabby, so I'm going to move on to the next caller. You're welcome to come back up if you have anything else uh, you want to say. Thanks.
0: Okay, thank you.
1: No problem.
5: Hey, how's it going? It's going alright. How you doing, man?
1: Uh pretty good. I didn't realize it was uh you at first. I'm, I'm used to seeing you as, Winf- <laughs> as Winfield How's it going? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah.
5: It's going okay. Um so yeah, about this whole shooter. Um he, he his manifesto, he said he they he specifically said why he did it and why he targeted black people. And it was because he said they're an obvious, visible, and large group of replacers. He's somebody that follows that whole you know, white replacement theory, white genocide thing, and also believes in race essentialism. So he believes that blacks are naturally inferior. So um, that's essentially why he did it. And he searched that place out by zip code um, because he said that, you know, with respect to where he's located, that was the nearest and largest black population center that he could go and hit. So um, that's essentially it. And I was saying this a while ago, you know, I've been saying this for a while, that I said this a couple years ago, post-COVID, it's going to get really ugly and this stuff's going to get worse, especially in the summertime when it's really hot outside and people are frustrated with their lives and they ain't got anything better to do. Um, I think that these kind of things, this was an act of the state. It was an act of a citizen. People just need to be aware of where they are, who they're around, and um, what could come around and just honestly, it's their job as citizens to take the actions necessary to preserving their health and safety. It's unfortunate, but this is what it's come down to. So that's just my short point. And um, Robert F. Williams, he was exiled and spent time in China. That's where he was. Um, oh so, yeah.
1: it, so it was China, it was China, not Cuba. Okay. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. And we, So, I don't know, we should cover that book because I think it's quite important. People need to, like, realize, too, that he also said it wasn't, black immigrants, it was just black people, you know. So um, yeah, people just, I don't know, they should just be very cognizant of of what he was saying and why. And to be honest, I'd say he was inspired by that New Zealand shooter. Um, He directly named him. Um, He also live streamed his event. Um, They should probably read his manifesto and understand the psychology of these people because it, it it would be very instructive because these people are everywhere. They, you could be in your place of work and business. You know, you could pass them on the street. They could even be your neighbor. You don't really know. So I just feel like um, people should just become very aware and cognizant of how these people think and what they're about just so they could do their due diligence for their health and safety. That's all I got.
1: Okay, thanks, thanks so much. Always appreciate that. Uh, also, let people know if you're in the audience. Let people know that we're up in here. Um, a quick thing I forgot to mention up at top. I <coughs> I um, found that I have COVID as of yesterday. So uh, I tested positive for COVID. That's one of the reasons why I decided to do it early today because I got it comes and goes. Like where I'm coughing and I feel like I'm hacking up a lung and suddenly sinuses clear up and everything feels good And
6: that, sorry about that can you guys hear me
1: um, the app shut down for some reason the person who was in the queue if you don't mind coming back up I will try to move you to the front of the queue cuz it seems like when the app shut down it knocked you out of the queue. But um what I was saying was um yeah, so I got uh I tested positive for covid, so it's like we did the show early cuz I was thinking, oh, since I feel good right now, let me just uh hurry up and do the show now in case I get overcome by like a wave of hacking dry cough again. So yeah, if I suddenly start coughing and everything, and uh, wh- and shut it down, you'll know why. But hey, uh, guy and feel free to unmute and uh, you know sh- share your piece. Hey, um, hey Trevor. Hey, yeah, how's it going? You're feeling alright? Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, right now um, I feel pretty, pretty good. i knock on wood. Hope it lasts. Oh, I don't know
8: if you're Oh you it. Oh, oh, okay. oh, no, I was saying um, I was
1: saying right now I feel uh pretty good. Knock on wood, oh, hope hope it lasts. But yeah. yeah so so far smile. so good. But but earlier today and yesterday was a mess.
8: Yeah, I hope you feel better Thanks. soon and not worse. Um yeah, I was gonna bring up something that's I mean, kinda tangential to the shooting, but it's uh what's happening in in Palestine, in Israel Palestine. Uh, with this reporter, I don't know if you've like kind of followed the story of um, Shireen Abu Akleh, um, who got shot in the face, like had her face blown off, while wearing a press vest and a helmet, and the IDF knew that she was there, and they try to blame it on like some Palestinian like militants, quote mm-hmm. unquote, um, and then they attacked the funeral while they were carrying her coffin um it was i i mean to me that's just a like the greatest like disrespect like in life and in death there's just so much dehumanization of palestinians and to me like like i've heard israel jewish israelis and and other activists call the situation there kind of somewhat similar to the Jim Crow South, um, and what's concerning to me is that you know police forces go there um, and train with with the Israelis um, how to how to basically put down movements, how to infiltrate them, how to spy, and they come back with those worst practices. And apply them here to Black and Brown people and activist groups, and it's kind of like uh, like if we don't do anything about what's happening here, we're getting a preview of what it's going to be like because they're kind of pushing Palestinians into um, smaller and smaller spaces, and they're taking the the natural resources, like the the settlements that are being built. They're getting like the water. They're they're pushing out. Palestinians from access to water and so it's kind of like a ghettoization and kind of like a sort of what happened to Native Americans too like a reservation kind of process. Yeah real talk. Yeah and it's really you know it's really concerning that people don't see these connections that all these technologies these defense uh, weapons these uh, surveillance technologies that are kind of tested out on Palestinians are then brought are then sold internationally to all kinds of governments, including our own, to militarize the border so it affects, you know, my my people, um, who are, you know, part Native American too.
1: Yeah, it um, was very weird that you know, but that happens uh, both that happens both ways. Uh, where they have stuff they test domestically on uh, black and brown populations here then then bring it you know overseas and then they do it in reverse too where they have stuff overseas and they test it out on black and brown populations overseas then they end up using it on people at protest here it's 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 weird how that goes in both directions but it's uh it's a good reminder that uh it really is an international struggle
8: yeah yeah it it really requires like solidarity across. And like, I know that there's been some solidarity. uh, I mean, you know, between black lives matter, but other groups that are also um, fighting for black people's humanity. And, and they've gone and visited um, Palestine and like seen like some parallels There, there there's an exact parallel, but there's just a lot of, uh, if they're going to be learning from each other worse practices, we have to also uh, kind of pro- cross-pollinate like, some of our methods of resistance. That's a great way to put it. Like They're basically collaborating themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But did, did you see footage of the, the funeral pre- procession that got attacked by...
1: Uh, no, I saw people talking about it in the chat. Um yeah. because because I've uh uh been sick. I've been checking the news sporadically. Yeah. Like like even the Buffalo shooting, I found out about it way after the
8: fact. Yeah. 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 No, it, it it I mean, if you do check it out, it is just disgusting and unbelievable that like people carrying a coffin are getting hit by batons by these like these guys who are dressed all in black you know it's just, it's yeah, it, it,
1: it, yeah it's disgusting but I'm kind of disturbed at how little things surprise me anymore like I feel like yeah. even a year ago that would have surprised me and right now it's like I, I believe anything could happen yeah. I think George Floyd really kind of took away from me the ability to be surprised by anything yeah, yeah. Uh, okay anyway. guys uh, we have a Pretty healthy queue, so I'm just going to keep yeah. it moving. But as keep I say to everyone, you're welcome to come back up if you have anything else to say. Appreciate all your right. call. Take care. All right, take care. Hey, Rudy, how's it going? Feel
3: free to unmute. What's up, Trevor? How you doing?
1: Uh, uh, all things considered, it could be
3: worse. <laughs> all right, I just got a couple of things um on my mind. So one was uh, regarding the Supreme Court, and then the other one is... I like to pay attention a little bit to what's going on in Africa cuz it's never really covered. Um like, you know, what's happening in Palestine is really tragic and I don't think enough people are talking about it. But it's crazy also that like nobody ever talks about what's happening in the Congo and has been happening in the Congo for the last um 2 decades is like more than 10 million people who have been genocided by um basically forces that have deep ties with the U S government and U S corporations, as well as the Belgians. And of course the Canadians and, you know, the, the usual goons. Um, But yeah, so um, the part about the Supreme court, my thing was, I didn't know why the Supreme court decided to make enemies like right now, you know, like it, it doesn't, talk about what's happening to Julian Assange he doesn't talk about the NSA spying he doesn't talk about plenty of things that he could talk about that you know he could challenge whether constitutional or not but then he decides you know as so many i don't know institutions are losing credibility it decides to like i don't it just uh politicize itself so much so my friend says basically it's just a move to trip up the working Class as we're getting a bunch of uni- unionization, blah, blah, blah um, efforts, and basically this is a way to drive a wedge between, you know, people of different, you know, ideologies who sort of care about, you know, t- t- you know, kitchen and table, whatever they say about that stuff. Um, and then I don't know what you guys think about it. I'm just sort of confused about that, but it seems pretty good. And then the other thing, the Mali thing, is just that. Um, there's something interesting happening over there. You got a bunch of people who are in support of the, you know, and these guys don't don't hide it. And I don't know, they basically of the junta, and they call themselves a, a junta, a junte, a junte in French. So then, like, basically there's a bunch of people in Mali, in Senegal, where I have, like, family. And um, basically people are saying that, you know, we've tried as um the say they are always asking to vote and plenty of countries have voted like in 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 as i call in cameroon people vote but it's 20 30 years and so they're like why not give the junta a try and you know there's a lot of democratic support for the jun- uh, junta and it's basically people are saying Why have a vote right now when so many things are just, like, missing? Why, you know, why go through the sham? The CDAO, which is, like, the community of, like, West African countries, you know. um, Basically, those, those, um, the leaders of that who are the presidents of the West African community, um, they're saying, basically, we're going to impose sanctions on you. And they have, basically, and which is the French position. And they're like... But the people are like, how do you guys have amongst yourselves people who have decided to, you know, um, go against their constitutions and run a third time? Um, you don't have a problem with that type of, I don't know, coup. But then you have a problem with this coup where, yes, we don't necessarily like a strong man and stuff like that, but he's actually getting things done. So I'm not, I'm a bit conflicted by this thing. As- what?
1: Why do you think? Why do you think this is not discussed in, in America that much? Because I'll be honest, this is all news to me personally, and it seems like you know a lot of people. I mean, I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of curious because it's a question I've always had. Like, for example, even a lot of um, domestic leftists, I notice have very bad grasp on international issues.
3: Right. It's the thing is, it's it's difficult, you know, because. Um, and it has to do with the infrastructure there. There was really, if you look at just the Congo, for example, you got Mobutu, who's the guy who, you know, ruled like a king forever, uh, with the help of the United States, this guy rose to power basically because he was one of the few educated people around Lumumba when Lumumba won power. And so, you know, it's part of it is they just, they just sort of killed the baby while it was still a baby kind of thing. And so it's hard and then there's also you know i guess black journalists aren't really as credible in the eyes of everybody else um and then also like the people there we've never really a lot of people, you know it's and it's it's ever the, the racism is everywhere but basically the idea is that people have had opinions people have known if you listen to these guys i mean i swear the 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 analysis of these guys about Amer- American politics, world politics is like spot on. Actually, so the Mali government took after basically kicked the French out, and so. Uh, but in in the Congo, just to make it short, um, you know Kagame, right? The the, the guy, the president of um, Rwanda. Yeah. Well, the president of Rwanda is a guy who's like loved by the Clintons and you know the, the goons, um, who didn't do anything in Rwanda when there was um, a genocide, and so they they used this. The the fact that they didn't do anything to hide their the, the complicity in the genocide and their com- their continued complicity in the genocide in the Congo because what happens is actually Rwanda which is a small country um, acts like the police in the in the region Rwanda basically facilitates the stealing of, you know, the minerals. And then Rwanda gets some money that actually it is is able to invest in Rwanda, which makes other countries look bad. And so Kagame is like, yeah, you guys complain about me doing this and that. But then I'm actually like, look at my country, and it's got a bunch of women in the parliament and everything. And then, you know, Clinton and then, you know, uh, he's... um, What's the blair and stuff they can basically use that to be like okay yeah actually kagame he's doing well and then kagame also has this way that like he speaks to the western leaders and they allow him to speak to western leaders and so he wins the confidence of certain africans who are like oh look at the way that he actually like fights the back, back against the french and not really knowing that actually it's just a big game you know so so so, everyone, so, 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 yeah. so
1: basically he's allowed to talk tough but it's all just kind of performative but exactly it, it makes people feel yeah we have a lot of that in america we have a lot of uh black people who are allowed in american politics and activism to lecture white people and you know the spectacle of that unfortunately goes um pretty far uh yeah definitely enjoyed your call but we have more people in the queue rudy so I'll invite anyone coming after to respond to anything that Rudy said or, you know, anything you want
3: to talk about, but, sure, sure, but, but can I just say one last thing? Please? Mm, this but, is an important thing, right? So yeah. you remember the guy that did uh, hotel Rwanda, the guy, the, the, the savior in hotel Rwanda. Remember yeah. that guy, so mm-hmm. that guy actually has been imprisoned by Kagame's goons and nobody's talking about it. And that tells you exactly how big this is, because if he was somebody that was an enemy to the United States, th- this would be massive. But that guy that was portrayed by, I forget the, the actor, he's been locked up by Kagame, who's been making people disappear and nobody's talking about it. Oh, so, had, also, also the Don Cheeto
1: character yep, has been yep, locked up. And, exactly. And that, that, that kind of shows how none of this really matters because supposedly that guy was some darling to white liberals and 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 americans and if they don't even care about him um that kind of shows that it's just a bunch of that bullshit. genocide is
3: complicated it's a two-way mm-hmm. thing and there's a huge agenda behind it to pretend that it was on one side because one of the the guy that shot down the plane that killed. They basically initiated this thing. Supposedly, is Kagame. The Black Agenda Report has a bunch of this stuff, and it's it's just it's
1: crazy. Yeah, in general, I recommend everybody read Black Agenda Report because they do really really good work. All right, Rudy, good. thanks Thank so you. much, and talk to you soon. Hey, Andrew, how's it going?
3: Hey, T, good.
2: I actually wanted to um, say if you wanted to, um, have Chris hop in or saw when you were in the queue earlier, I already talked a lot. I got a couple other thoughts, but I'll
3: take up. The-
1: oh, oh well, 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 how about this? How about I put, uh, Chris in, uh, first and then, uh, we can end it with you and kind of sandwich it by starting and ending it with you because, uh, I feel like I need to go drink some tea or something. So I think, I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Chris, um, Go before you, since you spoke already. And then if you want to come back up and close it out, then uh, you're welcome to. Sound good? Sure, yeah. Sounds great. Okay, cool. Cool. Hey, Chris. How's it going? I hope you didn't fall asleep. We didn't lose you. Did we <laughs> Made you wait too long? Okay, good, good, good.
6: Nah, I was waiting for the mute button. Okay. Um. Okay, cool. So, right. I'm, I'm sorry. This is about to be some crazy energy but um i have an odd theory after watching the last episode of atlanta so i i noticed recently that all the episodes of atlanta seem to be oddly topical for things that were filmed a year and a half to two years ago so we have the reparations anthology episode which came out a week before the california reparations thing passed like almost exactly a week before Um, We have the Black Lives Matter grift episode, which came out two weeks after the New York, um, the New Yorker piece on Black Lives Matter in the mansion. And then we have this new episode starring Kevin Samuels coming out one the week after he's died. And um, I think Donald Glover is writing the script, the script to 2022. (laughs) And I, I don't know what mad negro magic she he has come upon that has transformed him but uh, yeah I don't I don't know i just I just realize that everything happening in the show seems to be very relevant almost to the week and it's and it's getting freaky
1: yeah that is that is really that is really true I mean the reparation stuff is a little bit harder to say because I feel like lately every month every week. Something's happening with, with reparations This has been the national discourse But the Kevin Samuels thing was Very oddly um, Specific and The Black Lives Matters, The Black Lives Matter thing is Kind of weird too because for example If you've been like following Our show and everything we've been talking about Black Lives Matter Being grifters like forever You know but um, It wasn't really in the Conversation like it is now Where now it's like uh, it's kind of known now as in like I know a lot of people don't really talk about them anymore, who normally used to kind of um big them up, but yeah, I mean I think you're right that that show is weirdly topical, and the Kevin Samuels thing is really weird, but how do you feel about the actual execution of it because something is lacking in it to me? I'm not sure what it is this season,
6: um, it, so I... like think it,
1: it should be better, I feel, but it's not hitting for me.
6: I've been, I've been, I actually rewatched the episodes because when I started thinking of this to see if there was anything else I missed, um, I think, and then I think the Liam Neeson and Chet Hanks thing also plays into it. They're touching on a lot of these issues, but the, the actual political angle they're taking on it seems to be that there's actually nothing wrong with this stuff. So for example, the reparations episode came off more of an anti-reparations episode, um, The Black Lives Matter grift, it kind of seemed like it was going to criticize them, but then at the end of the episode, it kind of turned around on that. Yep, yep,
1: yep. Um, yep. I totally know where you're going with this, where it's like, it almost kind of feels like, hey, everyone's going to grift, so why not just grift too, or or grift for a better purpose? Like, I'll add another example to what you're saying, because I totally feel what you're saying. Um, Another example is when that... um, he comes across that guy who to me is meant to be one of these phony influencers who's just using the culture to trick white people. Remember when he's in England and there's that guy who's clearly a scammer and he's kind of using the culture, uh, the the to... painter? Yeah, yeah, the painter. And he kinda gave me like a like a Jeremy O'Harris, little Nas X kind of vibe where it's like, mm-hmm. Okay, this person is just a scammy influencer who's using like uh white liberals gullibility to kind of uh, pimp the culture to them but he kind of makes it seem like at first i'm thinking oh is he going to call out these types but he kind of ends it with hey i know you're a scammer but i'm going to get on the scam too and i'm gonna get, make myself your manager or something and, yeah
6: exactly yeah. and that and that's kind of how they played the chet hanks and liam neat the have you seen the Liam Neeson scene? That was in a more recent episode. Um,
1: no, the, the last one I saw was the um the one with the Trinidadian um
6: Trini to the bu- Okay.
1: Yeah, I couldn't even finish that one. I, I got halfway yeah, through it. Yeah, that. Yeah, that was. It terrible. wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, but it just kind of bored me.
6: Yeah, but stopped. there there was a Liam Neeson scene um in I think the episode the week after that where he's. Paperboy's in a bar and he just happens to be right by Liam Neeson. And he doesn't realize, but it's like a cancel bar. And Liam Neeson is talking about how he's how he didn't really mean what he said when he said that he just wanted to kill a random black person after finding out a black person raped his friend. Which is just wildly racist. But then it seems like the point of the scene was after explaining that to Paperboy, Paperboy so when he negatively towards black people you're not actually racist And least neeson goes no i'm racist now after getting canceled and wow, that's uh, really weird it, it it was the weirdest thing i've seen on tv in a long time and it just completely turned the scene upside down on its head and then chet hank showing up in the Trini episode where he's just raised by the lady and speaking all types of terrible he's speaking Jamaican Patois, while but he's supposed to be training it it was just so weird to me
1: yeah yeah I think he doesn't even know what he wants to say right now but he's just trying to be topical and it's bringing him to weird places I think he I think he needs to touch some more grass I don't know what's going on with him but uh, I'm curious to see where the where the season ends I'm gonna catch up with it eventually because I want to do a follow-up episode of media Masochist. On it, But I've been increasingly finding it harder to push myself through the episodes.
6: If, if it helps, Perfect. I would say the 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 most recent episode, the Kevin Samuel's episode, might be one of the funniest episodes of Atlanta. It's definitely the funniest episode this season, but it might be one of the funniest episodes overall. There, there's a scene where um where they're trying to they're trying to test the guy to see if he's actually black, and they they throw in a weird Eidos reference. I don't know why, but. They're trying to test the guy to see if he's black. And the, the questions they're asking him are off the wall and actually things that me and my girlfriend were sitting around trying to see if we knew the answer to. And there was a few of them that we were like, yeah, there's actually a right answer to that. Like, I'm, I'm not sure if anybody who's not black, black would actually like Ados would know this. So it, it was the most recent episode was actually good.
1: Okay, yeah, you have me intrigued. So I might skip straight to the most recent episode and, and check that out. Uh, Definitely,
6: and I, I live in Atlanta, so I'm gonna start calling Emory Brady and wait, I'm everything. Sorry, you broke, up. You, you, uh, there, uh, you few, broke up. There was so, a few. There was a few.
1: Oh wait, hold on. Can you back up? I heard I live in Atlanta, and then you broke up for me.
6: Oh, uh, I was saying I live in Atlanta. So um, after watching the newest episode, I'm probably gonna start. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can, I can be good now. Hello. All right. So I was saying, I, I, I live in Atlanta. So after watching the newest episode, uh, okay, that makes sense. But um, I was saying I was gonna probably gonna start calling the newest ep- the, Emory White Grady from now on after watching the newest episode. There, there was just a few great one-liners in the newest one that, and it took place in Atlanta, which I think also might have to do with why it's so good because Donald Glover does know, you know like. <laughs> It's clearly from here. Maybe it's jokes that only people from Atlanta would get and appreciate. But I, I, I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I'm actually going to uh, check it out. Uh, I'm going to check out that episode after. But yeah, Chris, uh, I'm going to move on because the lag was getting worse and worse, and then you were starting to you were starting to break up. So uh, I figured it was probably uh, a good time to move on. But thank you for that call. And I just want to check out that episode because I really want to do see a good episode of Atlanta again, and it hasn't been happening. Okay. So we're going to end it with you, Andrew. It's a good way to kind of sandwich it because we started with you. And uh, thanks to everybody who chimed in and called in. We had a pretty active queue today. I'm pretty happy.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me up so much to you. Um, the couple things I was thinking of, were back to uh, a bit ago. You were, talking about like it's funny how a lot of these kind of um mass shooter white nationalist replacement types um they're not going and attacking like uh you know uh area where there's like really strong organized crime of a lot of like black gangs in Chicago they're going to like this grocery store in, in Rochester I thought that was actually that's actually I mean it's I shouldn't say it's funny. It's fucked up that they're doing that. But at the same time, I think it's interesting to like put that narrative out and be like, you guys are fucking weaklings. You realize that? And like peel some people away from their Mm -hmm. movements. Um, And then the other thing I was going to mention is there are, uh, there is this uh, black militia in the South that I saw pop up in 2020. I don't really know if they're still active, but they're called the not fucking around committee. And they had like a thousand guys um, or more and and they just shut down a lot of these kind of vigilante, like white vigilante types who were, oh, out. You know, like the Kyle Rittenhouse types, or, and I think they scared the cops away too, to a, a degree. Were they in Texas? I feel like I remember these dudes. Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember if they were in Texas. I thought they were further east. I thought they were in like, uh, uh, I thought they were in like Georgia or, uh, or Mississippi somewhere. But uh, yeah, I don't remember like. I don't remember exactly where they were. I'd have to go and look it up. But then another thing that you, you brought up earlier that I just wanted to chime in on real quick was the kind of um, uh, uh, like – oh, shit. Oh, yeah, people who bring up the whole black-on-black black crime uh, statistics whenever there's like a, a white killing of a, uh, of a black person or people – they're like, oh, but that's less than black-on-black crime. I mean, beyond the fact that that's bullshit, um, I thought it was really interesting that the Black Panthers uh, really heavily went after recruiting gangs. Because the way I look at, like, organized crime is it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you believe that capitalism is, like, more or less the only system you're going to have, And uh, um, and you're a person that's, like, heavily like extra disenfranchised by the capitalist system in your country that if you don't see like a way out of capitalism i see that as like kind of a logical response but given that there are alternatives to capitalism i I don't think that's a logical response so i thought that was a really um strategic and good tactical move by the by the black panthers and then the last last thing i'll say is the the i'm glad some people brought up like international issues even though it was like different topics bringing up like um, things going on in Africa and in uh, Palestine are I think super important for people to keep in touch with and also like keep in contact with like if people have seen um, um, the coverage of uh, stuff going on in Ethiopia. Damn, I feel bad. I already forgot the, the lady's name that does a lot of good reporting on that. But uh, the point being like, there's so many examples if you look throughout uh, the 20th century of like international, movements from people like not just the black Panthers, but others even earlier, like Paul Robeson was a big, uh, like social black socialist and like anti Jim Crow organizer. And he ended up getting his passport back, um, because of the actions of like the earlier prime ministers of India. And then you had, um, you know, solidarity from South Africa to Palestine. So I think it's always good. I'm always happy when people bring that
1: up. I'm going to say that I agree with that. But in practice, I think a big problem with that nowadays is that the CIA and the intelligence community and the world uh, funds and the neoliberal – like between between the intelligence community and the international – donation community and the um neo-liberal banking community and everything, they have undermined so much of the um, radical leadership across the third world that I think it's going to be a lot harder, but I still hope it happens. But, like, like there used to be so many African leaders and leaders in uh, Asia, both East Asia and South Asia and Southeast Asia, that – We're not fucking around. And they were really willing to collaborate with and work with um, black American uh, radicals, work with each other, work with um, the communists, work with uh, the Russians. And, yeah, they've done so much to undermine the the amount of riders that they had in those. uh, I mean, like, the most common examples are people like... uh, Mumba, but, you know, there have been uh, so many people, like Sankara, all these people, uh, so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's possible, I just think it's not going to be as possible as it once seemed. There was a time in history where it looked very romantic and possible, this kind of cross-country, cross-cultural, cross-racial coalition, you know, and uh, I think it's still possible, but it's, it's been sabotaged and, and hobbled uh, a lot, and we need we need to do a lot of rebuilding of it, you know, before it becomes feasible again. But I I, I like to hope it's possible.
2: Yeah, I guess even if I agreed it was like totally dead, I I would probably still argue, fight with you about it, just because I think the fact that the CIA and and the other uh, intelligence apparatuses push back so much speaks to its value yeah and to be um, clear i'm not saying it's totally dead i'm just saying that it's
1: uh it's it's not as promising as it once was like like it needs a lot of rebuilding but yeah to be clear i'm not saying it's totally dead
2: oh for sure i guess just yeah like just in case anyone's getting the message like oh it's i mean yeah you you, you i think you put it nicely we have a lot of building to do so that's i, I guess yeah that's what i'm just glad people are bringing up the issues especially in Africa i think um i think that south america latin america and africa um as well, you know as well as every uh more uh you know less covered corner of asia they get less coverage for exactly that reason like people don't want you to know there was a gigantic strike in 2019 at all these mexican um factories at coca cola and auto factories that are all these american companies i don't want you to know about workers and like um, liberation struggles around the world is why they're not covered. But and I see there's someone else. Oh, sorry. But anyways, I, I don't want to talk way way forever. But before you end the show, will you plug one more time where we can find all your other shows? I actually first saw you on uh, the Michael Brooks show a while back, which is also where Oh, I live nice. On, like, rest in peace. Yeah, for real, rest in peace. But I I don't know. Like I know I see your stuff with Q and Glenn, but I don't know. Um, oh yeah like, where else yeah. To find um,
1: uh, the, the easiest way to find everything we do, except for Media Masochist, I have to put a link over there, but, <coughs> excuse me, go to uh, ChampagneSharks.com and that has pretty much all the links you need to do to uh, support the show, but if you had to choose one way to support the show, I would say um, go to Patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and become a patron. You know, that uh, definitely helps fund everything else that we do. Uh The best. So, yeah, Uh, Champagne Sharks is the podcast. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks and become a patron. But also keep listening to um, us on Media Masochist as well. Uh, uh, One thing I want to say real quick, I forgot to mention at the top of the episode, but if you're listening on the desktop um, in the future, consider making an account with Colin and and listening logged in because apparently if people listen on the desktop – and don't log in then it doesn't count toward our numbers and call in uh you know just as a show based on the numbers you get i don't know why they make it that way that people listening anonymously don't don't count but um i'm gonna start announcing that at the top of the episode but yeah thanks to everybody who joined in as a caller thanks to everyone who just listened you know we definitely appreciate having you in here and if you're someone who listened anonymously through the desktop feel free to keep listening to the desktop but consider making an account and and listening uh as a logged in listener for future installments because that that helps our numbers greatly and yeah thanks again andrew and everyone else who spoke and yeah be good we're gonna be doing more of these um during the week especially now that i know these bluetooth earbuds work pretty well so i don't always have to do the complicated setup I usually do to uh,
6: talk to you guys. But yeah, have a good one, everybody, and be good. Talk to you soon.